Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Hi. Okay, we're sitting down today. We're both sitting in our cars. (laughs) (laughs) So we are sitting down in two different states. You're in Oklahoma. I'm in Los Angeles with Triana Brown who is Miss Oklahoma, and I'm going to let you explain all of your titles, which are extremely impressive, but I have no idea what I'm talking (laughs) about. Okay. um, Well, I was Miss Oklahoma 2017 and went to Miss America 2018, and I completed my year as Miss Oklahoma, and then four months later, I made history as the first woman to become another title within that same year. I was crowned Miss Oklahoma USA. 2019 and went on to the Miss USA pageant where I was called a second runner up and was that close to going to Miss Universe. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. So are you done with pageanting now or are you going to keep going? Like, how does that work? Well, I started pageants when I was 24. So so you were like late in the game. Yeah, because I hear these girls that are like four. (laughs) Yeah, it all started because my mom ended up losing her job. And a lot of people don't remember for some reason, I guess, because they see me with the crown so much. But I've been an athlete since I was seven years old and was running collegiate track and field. I was a D1 heptathlete and was training for Tokyo 2020. Um, wow. My mother ended up losing her job and I had to find an opportunity to get scholarship money. And that's when someone brought to my attention the Miss Oklahoma State University pageant. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but we're going to try it because I hear that you can win money. Like you win scholarship money. It goes towards school. And I was getting, I hate to say threatened, but I mean, that's what it is <laughs> with having to be sent home because I couldn't afford school anymore. My mom lost oh. a job. And as a single mother how are you going to help your child by that point? And so she she was basically like, well, if you want to do this pageant, I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm going to support you. And long story short, I ended up winning on her birthday and getting scholarship money. But then we found out that it would take you to the Miss Oklahoma pageant. And I ended up going to Miss Oklahoma. And the girl that year that won got like $20,000 plus towards her education. And I, once we finished everything, I was like, okay, I think I want to try this again. And I ended up becoming Miss Oklahoma City, which you, for the America system, you have to have a local title. And I became Miss Oklahoma City after competing that night. Well, for about two days, I got $2,000 towards my education. So I was already starting to rack in money within just a few months. And then I ended up winning Miss Oklahoma and over $30,000 worth of scholarship money towards my schooling and student loans. So I'm proud to say I've only been out of school for about two years and I will be able to finish paying off my student loans, hopefully by the end of this year. Which is remarkable because so many people are in, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars of student debt. So that is amazing that there are opportunities like this for women. And I'm proud of you for just going out. You're like, I'm just going to go do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was the athletic part of me. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course, you have to have that drive. I mean, to be going possibly to Tokyo as like, and that's the Olympic runner, right? Like, is that what you were training for? I mean, that's so much. That's just dedication. And doing that since you were seven is remarkable. So what was your degree in in school? 
So I was actually in human development and family sciences with a focus in psychology and a minor in sociology. So I had a big thing on people. So I was studying social groups, why people do the things that they do. And it's all, it's funny how everything is just kind of circled back around uh, with the things that I'm doing now. So that I had a pretty long degree, but it was all about like the fascination with people. I initially heard about you because my mom is, um, my mom, Andrea, is in a relationship with this man, Russ, who is Native and who Mm -hmm. is starting like a bunch of businesses for the Native American community. And he's from Oklahoma. And they met you when they were out there a couple of months ago. And my mom was like, you need to sit down (laughs) and talk to Triana because I am super passionate about talking with people about their cultures and Mm -hmm. to your whole mission is bridging the cultural divide. So I just find that so interesting. And um, I want to hear your story about, you know, coming to find out that you were Native American Mm -hmm. and um, and starting to learn about your culture and your history and what this experience has been like for you growing up and all of that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, my mom was a single parent. Um, It's just been me and her and now my little brother. But for basically my entire life, it was just me and her. My dad is the one that um, I associate my tribe that I'm with now. He's the one that is Chickasaw. And because he wasn't around growing up, I didn't know much about my heritage. And my mother was never against telling me about it. She would mention it to me. But of course, she's not Chickasaw. So she would give me little books here and there. But I just never really could connect because, I mean, being multiracial, it's you go through this these phases of, yeah, I'm Native. No, I'm African-American. Oh, well, I'm Polish. So, I mean, which <laughs> one do I do? But it all came, um, which one do I choose? Well, um, it all came down to this moment in middle school. I had really long hair. Anybody that sees me, they see like the long hair first. And um, we were in chapel and this kid tugs on my hair and he's like, why do you have the hair, this type of hair? You're not supposed to have hair like this. And I just kind of looked at him and was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was so confused, like it's hair. And he said, uh, but you're black. You're not supposed to have hair like this. First off, we're like in first grade, second grade. And I was just amazed because he was a year older than me that he could talk to somebody like that. But then he goes, so what's it like to be too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids? And obviously that was a big moment because it stuck with me for the rest of my life for up until now. And that can easily say that that was a day that I kind of went down this downward spiral because, you know, you have this issue of being like, okay, so I'm multiracial. Um, I'm this and I'm this and this. I'm, that's really exciting. But now people only associate me with this part of me. Yeah. And they only call me African-American because I may look more African-American than Native. But in actuality, I have more Native in me than I do African-American. And so mm-hmm. it got confusing for a very long time. My entire school experience from elementary school, middle school, even in high school, I was having issues with how to uh, identify myself. And I got into college. And at that point, I was like, yep, I'm just black. I'm black. Blah, 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 I'm black. And I started to develop this relationship with my dad. And he started teaching me more about being Chickasaw. And I started doing things with the Chickasaw community and really, really diving in deep into what it 
means to the Chickasaw and the heritage and just became so engulfed with it and just so proud of being Chickasaw. And they just literally grabbed me and brought me in and (laughs) just accepted me for who I was and just loved me completely. And that's exactly what I needed. And the next thing I know, um, these issues started happening with the election where people started voicing their opinions a little bit more and I'm on campus and this guy tells me to go back to my country. Oh my gosh. And, (laughs) and I was just like, where does he think I'm from? Yeah. And it, it immediately took me back to when I was a kid, that kid saying that to me in chapel. And I was like, I think I was like 22 at the time. It's just like, I feel like little Triana again. I feel like little tree tree again. And I'm tired of it. I don't deserve this. And he had no right to say that to me. And I wasn't angry because at that point, you're just like, you know, that's just ignorance to be able to say something like that. And I just feel sorry for you because to have a heart filled with hate like that must be a really hard life to live. And I decided to connect that with bridging the great cultural divide. And that's when I won my first title and decided that if I were to become Miss Oklahoma, I would be a Miss Oklahoma that talks about being native educates people on cultures of all types, being accepting of them and us actually realizing that we live in a multicultural nation. And that is something that we should embrace. Exactly. And diversity is beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So that's my history with all of that. But I'm proud to say like I've been able to partner with Nike and Seven being the Chickasaw representative. So I've been able to meet with Taboo and um Lightfoot done all of these different events with Native uh, Native Americans all across Oklahoma and just recently did something with Native Americans across the country. So it's been just like I was called some, I can't remember what it was, but I was called like one of the top 10 influential Native Americans in Oklahoma. And that's just something that I'm really proud of, just educating the community. Yes, because there's a pro- huge population of Native people yes. in Oklahoma. <laughs> like, and you'd be surprised huge. how much people don't know about Native Americans. Well, and I was going to say, so first of all, my heart kind of broke a little bit when you shared that story about your experience in college, because it's one thing to be ignorant as a third or fourth or fifth grader, but Mm -hmm. it's another thing as an adult. And it just, it like tears started forming in my eyes because I was like, God, I can't, I can't even imagine how that must feel when it's like, this is my home. This is where I grew up. This is a country exactly. that I'm proud to live in that I, that you go on to represent on the world <laughs> right. stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> Little did it's they like, know I was competing uh, for Miss USA for soon yeah, after that. <laughs> it's like, come on. Um, but it goes to speak to our education system. And it's something mm-hmm. that I have a huge problem with is that the vast majority, if not all, uh, you know, I don't know, I can't speak on behalf of all schools. But I can say that, um, that the vast majority of our schools are not, they're given whitewashed history lessons. And Mm -hmm. it begins in kindergarten, and it goes all the way up (laughs) through high school. Uh, it, It is a serious problem, even in my community, I grew up in California in a bubble. Um, because (laughs) California is obviously like, very liberal. And I grew up mm-hmm. in a community that wasn't very diverse, and but I never right. experienced or saw anybody being racist. So, right. but be, there was only three black kids at my school. 
one of which was a boyfriend that I had. And I can't even imagine. (laughs) And I can't even imagine. His name was Darren. And I can't even imagine being like one of three or four black kids in an all white high school. Like how challenging that must have been. I was one of those. Yeah, I was. I called myself the little caramel chocolate chip in my school. I was one of the few. Really? (laughs) Okay. So in Oklahoma, you had that same experience. Um, it's, and that happens to be a lot of the times because of socioeconomic situations. I grew up Mm -hmm. as a poorer kid in a very like upper middle class area where a lot of people can't, can't afford to live. And so when we talk about our education system, like I really believe that obviously racism starts at home. Sexism Mm -hmm. starts at home. All of that starts at home. But we're not even giving children the chance to become critical thinkers and to have to grow up being um, at all um, giving them the opportunity to see other people's stories and to have empathy or compassion for other groups of people because we're giving them right. whitewash history lessons. It's not like this shifts in high school either because you're not, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't really get that, you know, and even when we're talking about um, African-American history, it wasn't until I watched that documentary, the 13th, which was only mm-hmm. a couple years ago that I realized that, you know, it was just 60 years ago that we were lynching black people and that we I they know, couldn't yeah. ride on the buses and, uh, and that they couldn't eat at the same restaurants and that segregation was occurring. And the very real ways that systemic racism is affecting people mm-hmm. of color today and people yeah. are just not aware of that. And then, you know, we can't really have this conversation, though, without talking about socioeconomics either, because it is true that um, the the longer that Caucasian people in this country are dealing with severe poverty, which they are as well mm-hmm. as people of color, it's going to be really hard to have them see it otherwise i mean donald trump really plays right into them because you know right into their fear of losing jobs and all of this stuff because they're Mm -hmm. poor and because they're poor they don't they get an even worse education you know they don't have the opportunity to go to college so it's really it's such a challenging situation but i really do believe it all begins with education Yeah, I always say like education is the basis of all understanding. And there's anything that you lack education of, it it can give you this sense of ignorance. And people look at ignorance as this like negative connotation, but it's literally the definition of it. It's just the the lack of understanding. Um, I've had people who are friends with me say things um, to me (laughs) and they're my friend. And I have to look at them and go, "Okay, I'm sorry. Like, you can't really say that. (laughs) You can't stereotype me as something like that and I know you're not trying to be mean to me or anything like that but the lack of understanding lack of education that you have in this specific topic makes you sound really really bad and I would highly suggest that you educate yourself not just from one news source but from multiple news sources read up on stuff research stuff before you just start 
blaring things out at people. I just wanted to talk further about like currently what's happening in in native populations and and like mm-hmm. what you had mentioned before the fact that native women specifically are being killed at an alarming rate and nobody's doing yeah. about it no, no one's doing anything about it no one's looking into it um you know they are having i really want to dive into the myth like one thing that i learned when i was in school which is just absurd and it just shows how i'm sorry but racist my instructor was When I was in school for um, drug and alcohol counseling, she said, if you're 100% native, you're 100% an alcoholic. And she said it like multiple times. (laughs) That's not true Hmm. at all. Interesting. Um, There is is a a large amount of addiction that is plaguing the community. Um, And I want to dive into that a little bit because... Mm -hmm. I have a totally different perspective than probably a lot of people do about why that is. Um, right. But let's ju- let's just dive into what you think the the community is dealing with um, right now. Well, first off, people have to understand that Native American communities are still struggling to get their own rights on their own lands, and it's <laughs> almost twenty twenty. So we have to first address that as being one of the issues for sure. The other part is that most uh, reservations that are around us that we may not even realize are around us are living in extreme cases of poverty. So whenever you live in poverty, when you don't have that educational system, you have issues like what's affecting the rest of the nation, really, you have to see how badly the opioids are affecting Native Americans. And that's because they are living in poverty. I went to one reservation um, about a year and a half ago, I believe. And at the, at the moment, I can't remember which tribe I went to, but I was able to go into the reservations and just see their living conditions. They're living in basically huts, uh, just at least this reservation was, where they have their bathrooms are outside of their home. Uh, they barely have any food. The only food that they have is out of like yeah, they have canned food, and but those things are filled with sodium. And uh, you have <laughs> box cereals. And I ask them, like, how are they doing? And they're sick or they're mentally ill. There are all these different cases because the things that they need, they can't get access to. And one of the huge issues um, is the opioid epidemic. There were a few cases that I bumped into whenever I did visit, and it was... Um, substance abuse, addiction, overdose, um, mental health issues, trauma, chronic stress, things like that, uh, that are occurring here and now. And the fact that they can't get any funding, there's a lack of funding. Um, People aren't addressing it in the reservations. Uh, There's it's really quite sad to see, yeah, that the topic of opioids are affecting the nation. Yes, they are. But if people want access to get help, that they can get it. They can get it. But when you are living in poverty, when you're not being represented, when you're not having people notice your own issues within your own land, um, when you have people overlooking you, the opioid epidemic is not getting addressed. It's not getting, they're not getting help. Therefore, they continue to struggle with it. And you just don't see anybody talking about it. 
sad if Oklahoma is coming in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a question regarding um, healthcare because, from what I understand, and I, my husband and I own a drug treatment um, center, and for a while we were in talks with and um, opening lines of communication with a reservation up in Washington. And they mm-hmm. had their own health care where you mm-hmm. could join at any time. You didn't have to follow the ACA rules. It was their own thing. Is that across the board or is that with different reservations? So, like, it really depends on the reservation you reside on or the um, different tribe that you are in. Well, every tribe is a little bit different as, uh, different as mm-hmm. far as whenever it comes to funding or financial access. I'm very fortunate to say that the Chickasaw Nation is very supporting not, of not only Chickasaw tribes, but other tribes as well, and then just people in general. So they have a lot of funding that comes through there. They're doing very well, but that doesn't speak for every tribe. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my the reservations that I've seen within my own tribes, the people that I've met, my own grandparents going to visit them. Yes, you're going to have your cases of poverty everywhere you go. But I I personally have not seen um, that within my own tribe as well as much as I've seen in other tribes, because not every tribe is financially stable, I guess you could say, or is fortunate yeah. enough like that. You can come. I live in Tulsa, but you can come to Tulsa and they have Native American uh, specific healthcare centers that you can go to, say you're sick or can't afford um, certain healthcare providers. You have access if you are a tribal member. Um, but the case of it being, uh, let me see, of it being everything that you need, the amount of access that you get, because I've never gone in myself, the only thing that I've heard is that you get what you get from that tribe. You know, you get the yeah. access that you have there. And then also there are it's some tribes that have to travel. Yeah. There are some tribes that have to travel way far out to even get to someone that can help them say that they are sick. But then mm-hmm. it goes down to the case again of if they can afford it. Um, yeah. Just from the few experiences that I've had, it's just, it's sad that they just sit. Some, I won't say they all, but some do just kind of have to sit and deal with it. And that's not always the way to do it. Sometimes you do need help. But if nobody is giving a generous hand when nobody is really helping, um, yeah, people like the Chickasaw Nation or other tribal nations that are fortunate to have way more funding coming into it in the casinos and things like that, um, they can only do so much. You know, you need help. This is just because you're native doesn't mean you're, you're living on a different you're not you're not living in a different world than everyone else. It's just you're living in a world that's kind of forgotten. And that's sad because it's within the United States. Yeah. Do you know how big the native population is currently in the U.S.? I don't know the statistic oh on that. I'm curious. No, <laughs> honestly, I do not know. Um, Oklahoma used to have the largest, but I believe it's now California that has the most Mm -hmm. uh, natives there, but I might be wrong on that one. But here in Oklahoma, obviously, anywhere you go, it's just a group of people that are being forgotten. I really do believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And so regarding the addiction rates, um, you know, 
if if we are really having an honest discussion and um we were talking before with you know we were watching or i was watching the democratic debates and mm-hmm. it was either Marion williamson or cory booker who was like if we continue to ignore america's history and then also continue to pretend that the very real um that that history is still very alive today then mm-hmm. we're not ever going to grow. We're not going to do any favors. And so the truth of the matter is that before we, and I say we as like white people came to America and in quotes settled on this land, um, Mm -hmm. the tribes were really thriving. The same was true up in Canada. Um, They had Mm -hmm. very, their sickness rates weren't that high. They lived off the land. There was no waste. Um, they didn't have high rates of addiction and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course they would fight each other for different resources, but especially in Vancouver, once a year, all of the tribes would come together and I'd have this big, beautiful feast. And, Mm -hmm. um, what happened up in Canada was they ended up, um, separating the children from the tribes and throwing them Mm -hmm. into schools um where they were basically like forced to assimilate to white culture and that didn't happen in the states but what happened in the states was you know they they didn't have resources and we didn't eventually we ended up saying okay this is native land people are still fighting for that land today i mean everybody heard of standing rock right and saw the images of the government gassing people on their own land for their benefit of drilling Mm -hmm. you know a huge pipeline through it um but Mm -hmm. what happens when cultures in a very short period of time become separated and aren't allowed to practice their their rituals and don't stay together as a community is an immense amount of trauma takes place. And when they don't have access to, you know, dealing with that trauma in healthy ways, like everybody's got a therapist now, they didn't have therapists back then. Um, And they still don't have access to therapy today. um, People turn to drugs and alcohol in order to cope Mm -hmm. and survive. And that's just the case across the board for addiction. Like I really do believe that trauma is at the center of all addiction. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it is no surprise that the native population, which, you know, and I want to now dive into, um, the conversation around reparations because we Mm -hmm. heard in the democratic debate also all of these, Candidates talking about giving reparations to African-American communities, which I absolutely believe um, we need to have that dialogue. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what that looks like, but I believe that we're, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. But we can't right. leave behind the indigenous population, no, which was, no, the, you know, this was their land. And so mm-hmm. that's such a hard, it's like, how do you fix all of this? It's such a hard, it's like, how do you do this right. without leaving well, behind, a, you know, those, yeah, those who are, the, well, the way that I look at it is that reparations are a very complex situation. And my opinion of it all, if I were to be standing on that stage 
discussing reparations, the way I would go about it would not be handing out personalized checks to people who are descendants of slaves. Um, it would be more so of using the funding, using the money, and giving back to these communities that probably have a higher population of, say, African-Americans. Um, I'll discuss them first. Um, my African-American community, my people, I like to say a part of who I am as a woman who's multiracial, would be giving back to communities that are suffering because the only way to change this cycle of poverty is to give people an education. And when they get an education, it gives them the opportunity to get out of these situations. But as long as we ignore the fact that we aren't providing, um, then it's just going to continue. Everything's going to continue. People are going, I always say like you're starting, like everybody starts like on an even ground, but then there's some, you know, we have the communities that we ignore that are underrepresented, that aren't getting talked about, that are being forgotten that are having to start underneath everyone else and they have to dig their, themselves out of the ground just to get to this equal point. So when we talk about reparations, instead of doing individualized checks to certain families or people like that, I just don't see how that's possible. But what yeah. we can do is in a way to say we are so sorry for the history uh, that was only about 55, 56 years ago <laughs> that it was exactly. really, uh, in, it, as a law, stopped. It hasn't stopped as a minority woman. It has not stopped. No, um, it hasn't. We need to be giving funding back. Now, for Natives, the fact that we aren't addressing Native Americans is so ridiculous to me because it, we still have people that can't even celebrate, like, celebrate their own rituals on their own land. It definitely needs to be done in a thoughtful and like what a very well thought out way. Um, my first thoughts, and obviously like I don't get a say in this and hopefully the next president will, um, which is mm -hmm. why we really need to ensure that everybody gets out and votes and has access right. to voting, which is another problem that we have for native Americans that the mm -hmm. Republicans in these states that totally gerrymander and they make up these crazy laws last minute like you need this form of id to vote mm -hmm. and like the native american people aren't required to have that kind of id and so then they can't go vote even though they're well, american citizens isn't that how well, it works? and i also well um i have heard of cases like that i've also gone to different communities just asking what the voting process is like and some say that it is so difficult to vote in their communities because they only have access to one facility that they can go to to vote so the lines are so long so and then long. the voting is during times that they have to work they can't work. leave work yeah. because they're already living in poverty they're already a paycheck by paycheck yeah. you know they have to be at work so by the time they are all getting off work they are all going straight to uh, voting. And then the lines are hours and hours long. And I was talking to one individual just asking like how long they have been there. And they're like, I've been here for hours, but I can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else for us mm -hmm. to vote over here. This is it. Yeah. And they thoroughly believe it's a strategy to keep certain people from voting. Absolutely. And getting their voice and, heard. And it wasn't the um, ID. I think it was that people who live on native land 
their addresses didn't they were just they're doing whatever they could to suppress the vote and that's really I sad. really do believe that voting needs to be a national holiday and that everybody it, deserves the time off to vote. And I almost feel like it should be like a legal, like mandated thing. Like you have to vote if you're over 18 because so many people actually just don't show up for various reasons. They don't. And I mean, yeah, you'll hear people saying yeah. like my voice won't be heard anyway. It's just one vote. And it's like, yeah, well, your one vote has turned into thousands and now the thousands are getting... Yeah into the hundred thousands of people who don't think that their voice matters. And that's why people are elected into office that may not be the best option for the people as a whole. It's having a minority coming into this world feeling like you don't matter already and you haven't even done anything yet. As a minority woman, you, from my own experiences and the things that people would say to me or say or hear the stories that come from my own mother and the things that she experienced, even the night that she gave birth to me from her own nurses, it's just like you kind of have to deal with this world of that, you know, you're here and we're just tolerating you. And it's like, yeah. I didn't do anything. So that's why we have these issues happening, because people are brought into this world thinking that they don't matter. And then there's a lack of representation. And it's just, there are just all of these different things that lead to these issues of, um, I would say, that can honestly lead to mental illness because there's all different forms. And because you feel like you can't discuss it, you just kind of wallow in who you are. I've gone through my own cases of depression and suicidal thoughts by the time I was eight years old because people would say or look at me or because my father was one race and my mother's another, um, saying just terrible things. And so I came into this world basically being like, I need to watch my back or um, I can't Oh, yeah, that like chronic this. stress. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's you live in this world stress. of like people hate me and I don't know why. And so that's mm -hmm. what leads to the alcoholism. That's why not every Native American is an alcoholic. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that's what leads to using these different substances that'll suppress these issues that you are having with your own self, but really it's not us, it's not them. It's them, the ones who are saying things. It's the boy who was telling me to go back to my country he has his own issues that he needs to deal with because I have done nothing wrong by being who I am I was born this way and I'm proud of who I am and we just need more people who can represent the communities that are underrepresented and that's exactly why I took such a hard topic like this to Miss America and Miss USA and I mean at Miss America they were like oh this is kind of heavy and I was like I honestly don't care that this is heavy I don't yeah. want other people to go through what I've gone through. I want to be for others what I didn't have. So to go to Miss USA and to talk about these issues in my interview, my private interview, talk about my, these issues on stage, you know, it's to the amount of messages I got from people saying, like, it was so amazing to see a woman speak Chickasaw on a stage. And I was trying to be the first Native American Miss USA. <laughs> and I was well, close. You were so close. Oh, thank you. But it's sad. It's 2019. And it's sad that I was trying to be the first. How can we be better allies? Um, I really feel like that's one of the best ways to bridge the divide is to have these difficult conversations mm -hmm. and to become right. um, more and more enlightened and aware. You know, it's all about being comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversations. There's this one television show called United Shades of America. And what he would do is he would have a completely different view system than somebody else. And he would 
intentionally go sit down and talk to them, not to judge them, not to use it as an opportunity to yell or demean or belittle. He really wanted to just talk to them and learn about why they think the things that they do. Um, and then he would share his own opinions as well about his own community. Uh, for example, he sat down with a white nationalist and he's African-American. He didn't sit down with him to yell. He sat down to listen to him and just really uh, educate himself on the view system of a white nationalist. Now, I'm not saying go put yourself at harm's risk, but that's what we need to do is be able to sit down, not judge, but sit down with someone and just have a conversation. Ask questions. Ask if there is somebody that you do not know, smile and ask them a little bit about themselves because it's the lack of education, of culture, and culture is the shared beliefs of a system. So it's the lack of education in a country that is multicultural. And yeah. once we learn how to embrace this multiculturalism that we have, the more that we will see the beauty and see life from this beautiful lens that only I really feel multiracial people can view life from. When we have people who are open to discussing, like I'm doing, talking about these things that are really hard, going into communities and trying to learn more, because I don't know everything about Native American communities, but I am willing to go out and discuss and educate myself so that I, too, can go out and discuss. I've gone to over 200 schools already. So it's like Amazing. going out there and educating people. And that's what we're not doing and what we need to do more of. What do you think about the down, argument? Talking. What do you think about the argument that I hear often from the Afri African-American community that it's not their job to educate white people on racism? And that's why we're in the situation that we're in right now. Um, if you have both sides refusing, then um, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's annoying to have to sit down and go, you know, this is just common sense. Treat people how you want to be treated. But sadly, not everybody has the same heart as you and someone has to become the bigger person. Do Did I think that my life would consist of me going around trying to educate people? I've been yelled at before saying they don't want to learn anything. They should just adapt. And it's like, no, that's why we're in the situations that we're in. This is your opportunity to change the course of life. You know, this is your opportunity to, you may not reach everybody in that room. You may not reach that person right then and there but you may have awakened something. It's, it's not to, you know, you're supposed to awaken the masses. That's what you're supposed to do. And not all the time are you going to reach everybody in the same, in that one room, but you might reach one person and that's all you need to start this domino effect that goes across the nation. It was one person yeah. when I was a kid that sparked something in me that said, you know what? I'm not going to be angry at people who say mean things to me. I'm going to use it as an opportunity to educate <laughs> you know, yeah. that's why I went into school and started learning about social groups and why they do the things that they do, the positive aspects and the negative aspects. When you have people who say, I don't want to go out and educate people on this, this is common sense. Well, then don't expect anything to change hmm. if you aren't willing to sit down and have a conversation. I definitely understand that, like, it's not, I get, I get, I guess I get what they're saying in the context of like it's not the the job of the oppressed to go out right. and it's... educate the oppressors mm -hmm. um 
I guess what I'm just trying to say is I'm grateful. I, I'm doing my very best to educate people on the very real issues that are going on in this country, especially with mm -hmm. marginalized groups. I mean, I've had a, an amazing trans woman on this podcast. I just had an incredible um, non-binary gay drag queen on to share her experience. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting down and talking with you. I'm talking to addicts. My intention mm -hmm. is to educate people or at least have them open their minds. I'm not coming from a place yeah. of I'm smarter than you. I'm coming from exactly. a place of like, I really care about this topic. And are you open having a dialogue? Are you open and willing enough to hear other people's perspectives and to hear their stories and maybe eventually and, to yeah. come out and have some empathy and some compassion and to go, wow, they do have it worse off than I do. And what can yeah. I do in my small way to be a better ally? And, and maybe that is how we then have other people going into their communities. You know, I'm talking about Caucasian communities and saying, wow, did you know about this? I can't tell you mm -hmm. how many people I had watched that documentary, the 13th, that went, wow, I had no idea. No idea. I had yeah. no idea the way that mass incarceration disproportionately affects people mm -hmm. of color. I had color, no idea yeah. how that happened. I had no idea the fact that that, you know, that, that the for-profit prison industry profits in such a major way and that major corporations profit in a huge way because it is still slavery. Mm -hmm. They they mm -hmm. make them, you know, uh, work for nothing in mm -hmm. exchange, you know, for product. I mean, even Victoria's Secret used to produce their panties in jails. And these people really? would work. Yeah. Even Victoria's Secret was in it. I mean, there was so many different corporations that eventually they stopped. And there was like this huge backlash from all of these different corporations. But there's still, you know, uh, even insurance companies that were benefiting from all of this. And it's just mm. absolutely absurd. So if nobody's watched, if you haven't watched that yet, I highly suggest that. that mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you. I'm saying the people that are listening to this podcast that everybody goes out and watches that documentary and, um, you know, starts to dive into this because the only way that we're going to get out of this mess is through liberation and is through mm -hmm. lifting up people of color and is through yeah. accepting our diversity and not becoming colorblind because that's not right. okay either, but instead appreciating different cultures and letting people celebrate their cultures in the way that, but they want to. Absolutely. And that's what it's, there's a beauty that comes from being multicultural because I've grown up in this world, like viewing life from this unique lens where there's mm -hmm. no judgment or anything like that because you'll have redhead freckled Native Americans in the family. Or we even had an uncle mm -hmm. at one point that the KKK addressed him, but he was black, but he looked so Caucasian. You know, it's we have all this different all these different um, backgrounds in my family that I've been able to grow up with, which is what caused me to be so accepting of people. And I wish everyone had this opportunity because you grow up just loving people for who they are rather yeah. than judging them from what you've heard. Um, yeah. And it's really that unfortunate. Is it is a blessing. And that's why I try to go out there because it's, you know, this is, this world, this this um, 
this land that we live on really is beautiful. We have people from all different backgrounds here. And the fact that we can't celebrate that is just so sad. The fact that we judge people off of what they wear or who they associate with or how they define themselves, you know, that's just sad because at the end of the day, you have to be happy with you and the, the decisions that you make. But when you have people constantly putting in your head that you're not worthy, um, it's a hard life to live and we just lack a lot of compassion. And that's why you have people like you and myself. Yes, we're just two people, but that two, those two people are going to reach out to hundreds and then thousands and hopefully educate in some form and cause this domino effect that will reach other people as well. And yeah. it's, it's just a matter of time until people really just start accepting each other and it'll never be perfect because people will be people, but we are human, but at the same time, somebody has to do it right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate you having this conversation with me, and I appreciate all Absolutely. of the work that you're doing. And please stay in touch and let me know if there's anything more that I could be doing to support you or your community. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If you guys liked this episode, do me a solid head over to the podcast app and make sure that you are subscribed to Recovering From Reality. Not just subscribed, but give me five stars if you really liked it. Comment, make a review. I really appreciate it. And if you're listening on your phone, you could even screenshot a picture of you listening and tag me up on Instagram and I'll do my best to share it within the community. So thanks for listening, you guys. And I hope you loved this episode. This week's affirmation is, I am where I'm meant to be. Everything in my life is flowing exactly how it should be. I have to remind myself of this often, you guys, because I think as a person who is an overachiever and also a perfectionist, I have to remind myself that everything in my life is flowing exactly how it needs to be. And while, yes, I am a believer in uh, manifesting and, you know, um, creating an abundant life filled with joy and peace and prosperity and all of these things, there is a process to that still. And so being in a place of acceptance while hustling and working hard is important. I absolutely love these affirmations. I hope you guys do too. If there's any that you love or that you personally tell yourself, hit me up on Instagram. Send me a message. Let me know what you guys are working with because as fellow people in recovery or people who are just trying to evolve in this life, like I'm always interested to hear what you guys are doing to better yourselves. So have a great week and so it is. Thank you.